Hello everybody, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue. Uh, lots to tuck into in the transfer market, which is exactly what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, but first, if you haven't already, do check out Scouted Football on YouTube because uh, over there, myself and Stephen Canavas, we're putting together some bite-sized videos just like this. Uh, in fact, on this episode's very topic, uh, and, and we'll continue to do so over the next few weeks. Uh, but without further ado, uh, it's transfer season, as I just mentioned. Uh, I'm still waiting for most of the major leagues to kick into action. So we're left discussing the off-pitch matters. Sell-on fees, break clauses, uh, exorbitant add-ons, last-minute scout emissions. Uh, Lee Scott is back, everybody, for his regular guest slot on the Scouted Pod. Um, how does the transfer window sit with you, Lee? <laughs> um, from a fan perspective, I think the transfer window is great. I think that having that concentrated interest in ins and outs of what your club are doing, what your rivals are doing, following any other clubs you might think are smart recruitment-wise. I think it's a, a great way to spend the off-season. For, for somebody who works on a consultancy basis within football, the transfer window can be a little bit more challenging. Um, workload can, can kind of explode at very short notice depending on what's going on at any given moment and you could find yourself jumping from, from one player in one kind of market to a completely different player somewhere else so it takes a, a lot of concentration, a lot of adjustment a lot of a lot of time spent on Scout. if I'm completely honest but I, I don't think I would change it it's actually, I can't complain that, that my day job is watching football yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I was going to say that the, the the transfer market is is you know is 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 people's favorite thing, unless you work in football, which it can <laughs> then become it can then grow a little bit tedious, perhaps. But um, no, I I know where you're coming from. Um, so yeah, today we're we're going to be do, discussing some some transfers that people might have missed. Um, of course, there are so many that it's impossible to keep track of them all. Uh, so what we've done is we've kind of scoured. Uh, I don't know about you, Lee, but I went on Transfer Market and just kept refreshing that page every single day, just <laughs> noting down ones which I thought, oh, that'd be quite yeah. interesting. I think that one might have flown under people's radars. Um, so that's what I've been doing. I'm, I imagine you've very much done the same. Um, so we've both got three players each to to discuss the lay of the land, essentially. Uh, so where they've come from, where they've where they've gone to, the fees involved, the contracts involved, what that means for the future, where they're going to play potentially in these teams. Um, so Lee, do you want to get us kicked off first with your with your first one? I think we'll go with our, our, our two Scandinavian picks first. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. My my first pick is a Norwegian winger called Aaron Donham, who has just moved from Valerenga in the Norwegian top flight to standard Liège in Belgium. <clears throat> this is one that I thought was really interesting. Again, just touching on the, the consultancy side of things for me, again, this is a player who I've recommended a few times to different clubs. Um, from a data perspective, he was a, a real standout while playing in Norway in terms of his attack and output. His crosses per 90, dribbles per 90, and uh, at times that he, he passes the ball into area, touches an opposition area, shots, XG, XA, everything seemed to be ticking all the right boxes. That it just felt as though he was ready for a move to a higher level of football. Um, in the end, I, I have to say that I was a little bit surprised that that move came to standard Liège, but if anybody's listening and they're a fan of announcement videos, I, I just go on standard Liège's Twitter account and find Aaron Donham's announcement video by the club when they, they christened him the King of the North in true Game of Thrones style with, with Donham walking about with a big fur coat on in the summer. I'm sure you absolutely loved that. Um, it's a nice little touch. Donham is a player who 
I think will have a real impact in Belgium. I don't think that he's going to be in Belgium for longer than maybe 12, 18 months before we start to see interest from elsewhere, just because of the type of player that he is. I think potentially one slight knock on him is that he is now 23, so I've only just managed to sneak him into scout football. Um, his birthday, I believe, he, he'll be 23 for the rest of this calendar year, but next year he will turn 24 and he'll be out of the reach of scouted football. So if MD is interested in looking at him, maybe have a look now. Slight surprise that he stayed in Norway for as long as he did. He has been capped at senior international level, but not until this year. So, But over the last two years, I think he has been a real standout. If you want to see him play, he is a, a direct winger who's capable of picking up the ball in the wide areas or in the half space. He likes to receive the ball on the back foot to give himself a little bit of space, and he's really good manipulating the ball past the first defender and then bursting past the second and and really attacking the space in the final third that's free. I think that the standard Liège strikers, Jackson Muleka especially, will, will really love having him there because of his, his delivery and the fact that he attracts so many defensive players towards him. It'll open up space for, for them in the penalty area and they'll be able to take advantage of that. So I think that this season, standard Liège are, are potentially going to be in a slight down curve. Um, I watch a lot of Belgian football and I have them down as a top five or top six team this season. And for a club who we're used to talking about in the same breath as Club Brugge and, and Anderlecht when they're they're fighting for the top of the table a good few years ago now, that, that's a bit of a come down. So as a team who are going through a slight transition, it makes sense, I think, to be adding a player who's got that dynamism in the final third and can make things happen on his own. Uh, definitely a transfer, I think, that, that some people may have missed, but one that I think is going to be interesting going forward. It's one that pricked my interest as well because, you know, he, he I saw that, obviously, the, the announcement videos you said um, <laughs> for any Game of Thrones fans, you know, it, it is very, um, I don't know, it plays up to the stereotypes, I think it's fair to say, of Scandinavians, <laughs> yeah, perhaps. a little. Um, but it was his debut or, or his league debut uh, where he comes on. He, he he's on that right hand side and he kind of cuts inside. And it's one of those one of those assists where it it could quite easily be categorised as a shot if nobody yeah. else got on the end of it. But he kind of bends it into into the six yard box, the the corridor of uncertainty, and 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 you know puts it on a plate for his teammates. And um, yeah, it's it's a little window into what he's capable of. You know, I think he's a very incisive player. Um, you know, you, I think. Pff, Again, I mean, well, I have a player who's potentially similar to, in this regard, but in terms of you know inside forwards and wingers, you know, you've got pure wingers, and then you've got players who are much better in the in the half spaces and can actually exactly. do do a lot in sort of that that inner channel of the pitch. Um, and I think Donham is is one of those players for definite. Uh, moving on to to my pick then, my first uh, selection uh, and sticking with sort of the Scandinavian theme, uh, I've gone with Jesper Lindstrom, who uh, left Denmark with with Bronby uh, for Eintracht Frankfurt in the Bundesliga. Um, he has signed uh, a deal until 2026 uh, for 7 million euros, um, which is, I think, is a reasonable deal for, for a club in Denmark. Um you know, Bronby, they they won the, the the title last season for the first time in sixteen years. So, you know, that was a that was a huge, huge uh, achievement for one of the biggest clubs in Denmark. Uh, but Lindstrom was was a major part of that. He got ten goals, ten assists, uh, recorded the third most non penalty goal contributions per ninety in the Danish Superliga, which is you know no small feat for a twenty twenty one year old player. Um, and I think the thing with him is that. 
Uh, so, I mean, something which Stuart Brown uh, touches on, uh, I mean, I say touches on, goes into incredible depth about in uh, the Scouted Football Handbook, Volume 10 uh, with Lindstrom, is that he's a lovely, lovely player in between lines. You know, he can carry an attack by himself with just a single burst of acceleration. He can move you 5, 10, 15 yards up the pitch with that. Um, and it's not just that he's a good carrier in terms of being a progressive player. He's a very good passer as well. And I think that's probably the the, the attribute that I think um, exemplifies him best. You know, he, he's he's very, very lively. Uh, he's flighty. Uh, and I think he gets a lot of that from the fact that his stature is quite, you know, he's quite not diminutive. He's, he's more wiry. You know, he's, he's a good height for, for the position that he plays. Um, and the reason that I haven't, you know, outlined his position yet is because primarily he he can play. Well, he he can play anywhere essentially in in that in that sort of front line. Uh, he's played as a ten. He's played as a as a left sided forward, as a right sided forward. Um, he's played sort of as a false nine on occasion, but that's not not sort of a a position where he's been listed as playing. It's more of a he's he's kind of floated into that position mid game. Um, but you know we've. Uh, we, we've we've compared him to, to Mason Mount, uh, or rather an early version of Mason Mount when he maybe perhaps played a little bit on the forward line a little bit more when he was at Vitesse um, on, on scouted football before. Um, and I think that's quite a shrewd comparison because while I'm not a huge fan of directly comparing players, it's the way that he moves his body and, and links the plays. It's all very smooth. It's all very cohesive. Um and, and there are definite similarities, I think. Um, but speaking of sort of his, his stature and his physical prowess, um, I think to survive in one of Europe's top leagues, you do, even if you don't appear to be that way, I think you do need to be, you, you, you need to be quite robust, I think. Um, and, you know, Lindstrom, he, you know, he'll give as good as he gets, but, you know, he will, he will, he will take a kick in. Um, and I don't think that's ultimately sustainable in a division where the physicality goes up a notch, the, the, the physical demands go up a notch. Um, and while I say he's wiry, he's, he's wiry sharp rather than being wiry explosive, uh, which can sometimes mitigate those, 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 physical battles um but i think on the whole as a player for his you know his playmaking intelligence um you know we wouldn't be discussing him if he hadn't just made a move and and that is because he'd still be in denmark you know frankfurt are, are getting a fantastic player in him uh how he fits into the the new style with with oliver glasner there will will remain to be seen but for me personally i think his his future's in in the forward line um lee how do you see jesper lindstrom potentially being used in the bundesliga with eintracht i think you're absolutely right that his move there's, there's going to be a step up in terms of the the aggression the speed of the game but what he does have that set him apart when he was in denmark and it stands him in good stead in germany is the speed of thought um sometimes as a, a young player coming into a top 5 league where where everything is that little bit bigger if you like the difference in the game can be mental as much as physical but Lindstrom already has that ability he as you said it's really a really interesting comparison between him and Mason Mount of maybe 18 months ago when you talk about the positions that Mason Mount would receive the ball and more than that the way that he received the ball what I really like about Lindstrom is that whenever he he does take possession, whether it's in the half space or the wide area, he tends to always either be between the lines or have created a little bit of separation from the defender. And his first touch is always safe. It's it's He doesn't take the same touch every time. He doesn't always open out his body, but he always keeps the ball just in that safe side of the defender. And that gives him an extra couple of seconds of thinking time before he executes his next action. I think that that's something that, 
really will come out. I think German fans are going to love him because they love a, a kind of Thomas Muller type who has that ability to drift between lines and receive the ball from midfielders. And that's what he'll bring to Eintracht Frankfurt. But I think it's just a, a sign that we've been doing these podcasts for too long now, Joe, that he was actually somebody we discussed a little while ago in a previous episode, and now he's got a move to a top five club, so a top five nation, sorry. So obviously we've been talking about players for too long. Quite clearly, yeah. Or, or the other um, the other eventuality is that I can't actually remember off the top of my head who Eintracht's sporting director is, but clearly they've gone and taken a look. It's not the uh, not the ten goals and ten assists that have that have um, sparked their interest. It's rather the scouted football podcast. But hey, who knows? <laughs> I'll have to check how many listeners we get in Frankfurt to, to see if um, <laughs> see if people are, are are interested to see what their their new player is all about but um yeah who's your who's your next player we're going to go a little bit more south aren't we yeah we're going to go to italy for my my next player and i've picked matteo lovato um the 21 year old central defender who has just moved from hellas verona to atalanta in serie a um lovato's a player who's really interesting he's not a central defender that catches the eye in terms of his ability in the ball. He's, he's not somebody typically who breaks the lines with his passes or, or plays diagonals to access the space in the wide areas. He's not a centre-half who typically will, will dribble forward with the ball and try to engage the opposition press. But what he is, is a really, really good defender. And I think that Atalanta have had a They've had a bit of a history of recruiting defenders who defend extremely well, which is sometimes overlooked in modern football when you see the names of central defenders that everybody waxes lyrical about they all tend to be comfortable in the ball these days they all tend to be line breakers and, and i'm as guilty of that as anybody else i, I love Takahiro tomiyasu for example um, at bologna who is probably the typical progressive passer from the center half position especially when he was at st Trudin before he moved to bologna that's really how he made his name but Atlanta have gone out and signed a young Italian defender who is quite unheralded, I think, outside of Italy, coming from Verona, who is just a really, really, really good defender. He's a really good size, 188 centimetres. I think that translates to about six foot two and a half, six foot three around there. Um, quite a thin, athletic frame, but he's got quite a lot of muscle there as well. So he's capable of going up against the likes of an Aiden Zeko, for example, and, and playing against strikers who like to play with the back to him. But he also shows really good recovery pace, that ability to play in a back three that Gasparini really likes at Atalanta. He'll be capable of, of defending in wide areas when the opposition are in transition and the, the, the wing-back on that side, as we know, the Atalanta wing-backs are really important to their attacking game plan and they go high early. So having a player like Lovato who has that acceleration, that agility, that ability to defend in behind just allows them to, to be able to play a, bit of a higher line, if you like. They'll be able to move to a higher line and defend more freely. I think that it'll be interesting to see whether Lovato goes straight into the first team. I think a lot of that will depend on what happens with Christian Romero and whether he is going to be sold on to Tottenham, as some of us are expecting. But if so, Lovato will come in with experience in Serie A already under his belt. And he's got that ability to come in and just take things in his stride and move his game to the next level, I think. 
Yeah, Lovato is one which um, really impressed me at the the under twenty one Euros uh, most recently with, with Italy. Um, and uh, truth be told, I hadn't actually seen an awful lot of him with with Hellas Verona. Um, so him getting a, an Atalanta move essentially as the 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 insurance policy for for Christian Romero leaving uh, as we as we anticipate is is a is a huge vote of confidence. Um, he's he's definitely a player which I think, as you described, can can you know plug a gap that that Romero has has essentially had there. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him play more with Atalanta because obviously the way in which Gasparini uses his defenders, uses his his centre backs primarily, um, is is very very curious, very interesting. So yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be I'll be watching a few of Atalanta's games this season, particularly if Lovato is playing. Um, second on my list, uh, we've actually come back to the Premier League, so back onto British shores, uh, and it's a player which. Some people might go, well, that's not a transfer that's flown under the radar. That's not one that we've missed. But <laughs> I think there wasn't there wasn't a great deal of fanfare about this uh, when when it first happened, and I think it was quite low key for potentially how good a deal it could be. Um, and that's Bubakari Sumare signing for Leicester City from Lille, uh, and he's joined for around eighteen million pounds, which is. I mean, to me, it looks like a very cheap deal, uh, unless I'm horrendously wrong, um, because I think it was around January 2020 that um, I think it was Sumari himself turned down a move to Newcastle for almost twice that. I don't know the legitimacy of that bid, considering that um, Newcastle are notoriously uh, tight with the purse strings, it's fair to say. But um, yeah, I think uh, it's 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 a shrewd deal um, for a player who is, you know, I mean, for anybody who watches Leicester this season when Sumare is playing, look out for the through balls. You know, they are going to be a plenty. Um, he's he's a very, very silky operator, um, very mobile. Um, and while 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 his defensive output isn't really there, you know, at, at a at a you know, seriously high level, he's very, very hard to bypass. He's very hard to get around um if you come up against him one on one. You know, he's very good at positioning himself in the spaces which will uh, block an attacker's clearest route to goal or in, in midfield where he's obviously going to play their most dangerous pass. So um, you know, even if that output's lacking, uh it's you know, he, he he's not a complete moot point in in defensive phases. Um, I think the most, the best and most important thing about him is is he's press resistant. You know, you'd expect him to play in sort of a double pivot, uh, and you know if he's going to be you know playing sort of, well, it's interesting to think because if Yuri Tielemann, uh then is playing a little bit further forward in James Madison's absence, then Sumare can can perhaps come in and play alongside Wilfred Ndidi. Um and there might be the temptation to say, oh well, you know, Ndidi and Sumare, that's a great, that's a really formidable duo in the middle, but. Sumari is the yin to Ndidi's yang. You know, Sumari is a controller. He patrols the midfield, keeps everything ticking. Is pretty good at that. At you know, short, medium, long distances. His passing is very crisp over all those all those uh, distances. Um, and I was looking into this. I was looking into the statistics of it. And last season, Ndidi averaged three point three one passes into the final third per ninety, whereas Sumari at Lille averaged 8.2 passes into the final third per 90. So there's a there's a, a marked increase there. Um, and I think that's that's a major, major difference between the players. Um, and 
you know, he's, he's Samari is very much involved, you know, in, in everything going forward. He'll be the one who is involved in the early stages of build up. He'll be the one who initially sparks the move. You, the, the, the pass which gets played into the attacking players, which then leaves the player who made the pass out of camera shot uh, as Jamie Vardy or Pat Zendaka <laughs> or someone goes through. Uh, and it often gets forgotten about because if they don't score, it's like, oh, okay, on to the next chance. Um, so Sumari is that type of player. Um, and I think that, yeah, if 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 I obviously I don't know the the, the way that Brennan Rogers plans to use him. Um but if say for example he did play alongside Wilfred and Didi, I think that has the, the makings of being a really brilliant on ball, off ball midfield partnerships because you know, where one lacks, uh the other excels. Yeah, I think that the, the main thing to, to say is that Leicester are really, really smart. I think that they've they've gone out and plugged holes and done well with their transfer business. Like a midfield three of Indidi, Sumari, and Tielemans is possibly one of the top three or four in the Premier League next season. So, just, so balanced. Yeah, just like you were saying, they, they all do things that the other doesn't do as well. They all have different strengths and, and yes, different weaknesses, but they, they complement one another and balance one another. And sometimes with squad building and recruitment, it's not about going out and signing three midfielders who are the best in the world. It's it's signing three midfielders who fit well or work well together. And mm. that's the secret. And that's that's the secret of how Liverpool built their midfield, their functional midfield when they won the title two years ago. Each player had a different strength and they all came together to form form a great unit. And I think Leicester have done the same thing. Sumari is somebody who a lot of fans, a lot of fans of the Premier League think that he's been signed to be a destroyer like Ndidi. And you're absolutely right to touch on the fact that he's a lot better with the ball than people give him credit for. He's got that press resistance that you talked about and that allows him to move past people and to progress the ball 5-10 yards before he releases it as well because he's very difficult to stop. He's got long long limbs, Patrick Vieira-esque with the way that he moves sometimes through the midfield. And I think that Yuri Thielmans in particular is one of the most underrated players in Europe. So having another player in that midfield to complement him will only unlock some more of Leicester's potential this season. I think not having a midfield which is star-studded and rather having one which is extremely functional is, you know, that was the the, the success of Liverpool or the rather the underrated success of Liverpool um, in the past, over the past few years. You know, you look at the likes of James Milner, Jordan Henderson, Juni Wijnaldum, you know, these types of players, Fabinho, they're not. They weren't household names. I mean, obviously, they were. They were well known. They were, you know, extremely, extremely talented footballers. But you wouldn't have said, put them into a midfield three, and that's going to win you the Champions League. That's going to win you the Premier League. That would have been, uh, oh, okay. It's, I'm curious to, as to what you've seen there. Um, but obviously, we now recognise that they were incredibly valuable players. Uh, and I think that yeah, this season Leicester have the makings of a very, very well-rounded squad. And even if they were to lose Madison, I think that. I, I, I'd back Rogers to be sort of tactile enough to to be able to mould a team around not having that player. Because to be honest, I think last season he when he wasn't in the team, they didn't suffer an awful lot. It's not like when Ndidi was out of the team and it was very hit and miss where you kind of had you, you kind of lost a little bit of control. Um, I think that Leicester definitely have the makings of a very um, compact but springy team this this next season. Yeah, I, I have definitely cheated for my, my last selection. Instead of choosing one player, I chose two. But just for context, th- these transfers flew so under the radar that I didn't pick up on them. 
And you talked a little bit at the start, Joe, about the, the latest transfers tab on, on Transfer Market. And that is open on my desktop all day when my computer's on. I refresh it every so often just to see if there's anything gone through that I've missed. I was actually looking for something else in the Portuguese top flight. And I happened to go through the, the Tondela squad. Now, Tondela are not a traditional Portuguese heavyweight. They're, they're not a, a team who typically even challenge for Europa League consideration. But they are smart and they, they do play some really interesting football and, and some good passing football. And for a Portuguese side, they, they're really easy in the eye. And when I clicked on their squad list, I realised that they actually now had Thiago Dantas and Eduardo Quaresma. Now, Thiago Dantas is on loan from, from Benfica. He's a central midfielder. Eduardo Quaresma is on loan from, from Sporting and he's a central defender. These are two players that if you told me 12 to 18 months ago they wouldn't be in the first team at the respective clubs, I would have thought that's because they got a move to a bigger club in a top five league. I wouldn't have believed that they would be in a position now where they'd be playing in a mid-table Portuguese side looking to really cement their, their access or entry point, if you like, to first-team football. Tiago Dantas, first of all, is... A very traditional Portuguese playmaker in the centre of the park. He's diminutive. He's got a great first touch, great scanning ability. He always knows where he is in the pitch or where everything else is in the pitch. He has that almost Barcelona ability to play in the half touch or to play one touch around the corner. And he always seems to be able to move the ball to, to a safe space or to find a teammate while breaking a line and just keep the momentum of the game going. He's had a bit of a strange relationship, I think, with Benfica because he actually spent some time last season on loan at Bayern Munich. Although he never played, I don't think, for the Bayern first team, he did play for their second team. He was very highly rated by the technical staff at Bayern Munich, but obviously there were a lot of changes at the club with Hansi Flick moving to take the, the national team job. And there was talk at one point of a permanent deal between the clubs, but that never came off. When he went back to Benfica, I fully expected him to be part of the Benfica first-team squad, but Benfica seemed to have gone away from from trusting young players, trusting their homegrown players. They're more happy to sign players from elsewhere that they think give them a better opportunity of winning now as opposed to securing their future by allowing these players to grow within the club. So whereas five or six years ago, Thiago Dantas would have, without a doubt, in my mind, gone on to play for Benfica before getting a move to the La Liga, Premier League club, something like that. Instead, he's going to have to go to Tondela and just play football and just experience the Portuguese top flight. But the issue sometimes with the Portuguese top flight is that there's such a drop-off in quality. For all that the top five or six clubs are fantastic and really good examples usually of tactical innovation and attacking football interesting tactical styles. It falls away dramatically towards the bottom of the table and the middle of the pack sometimes can get a little bit lost in that. I think it'll be interesting to see to see Thiago Dantas playing a full season of top flight football. I think he will dominate a lot of games and we're going to start seeing the same kind of hype, I think, around Dantas that we saw around um, Ryan Gold last season when he was playing for Forense. Now, obviously, he's moved to Vancouver Whitecaps. But Ryan Gold was, was getting so much traction on social media because of the highlights that were coming out of his game. I think it's going to be similar with Thiago Dantas. I was going to say, yeah, that's Ryan Gold to Vancouver Whitecaps. That's a transfer that that people might have missed in itself, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe, um, but that's one that 
might not be less of a surprise if he knew that Vancouver Whitecaps recruitment was run by by a former stats bomb analyst who is very, very, very smart. Um, I remember speaking about this person a few years ago to to Rennie Maric, and Rennie said that this person probably knew more about football than anyone he's ever met. And now, now he's in charge of recruitment in Vancouver, and obviously things are going quite well there. As a Scotsman, I'm just hoping he gets regular football and maybe doesn't get ignored by the national team going forward. But um, mm-hmm. just to touch again on Eduardo Quaresma a little bit, he is a, a ball-playing centre-half who I thought would be in the first team at sport in Lisbon last season. Comfortable in a back three or a back four. Um, quite athletic, quite a, a lean build, but really, really good on the ball. He's he's maybe the, the opposite to Matteo Lovato I spoke about earlier on, and his de- defensive work needs a little bit more development whereas his ability on the ball is already evident. So at times with the sporting, I think that they have so much of the ball, they're looking for the central defenders to really join in. I don't know if he's gone out on loan because they don't quite trust his ability to play on a high defensive line because his pace isn't quite there. So perhaps they're looking for him to get exposure to a team where he has to defend a little bit more to try to develop that. But I was very surprised to notice that Tundela had managed to get Quaresma on loan because he was very, very highly rated. And there were talk of La Liga clubs being significantly interested in him 12 months ago. So to see him playing now for Tundela, it's a little bit of a shock and a transfer that flew under the window for me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious because, you know, there's obviously I don't know very much about Tondela. I don't know very much about Portuguese football beyond the big three, essentially. Um so it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to figure out how that's going to work, whether whether Tondela are going to be, as a result of these additions, you know, obviously they're very young players, but they're very talented. Um, I think from, uh, from from what you were saying, of course, you know, they wouldn't have gone there if they weren't going to get a reasonable amount of minutes. I mean, last season, Quaresma barely played uh, as, as Sporting went and won the, uh, won the title there for the first time since, I think, 2002. And then obviously you had, you, you had Thiago Dantas, who was sort of, betwixt and between the different sides at Bayern. You know, he was, some weeks he was in the first team squad, some weeks he, I mean, one week he started in the Bundesliga and then another week he would be on the bench for, for the the Bayern Munich's Vie team in the in, in the third tier of German football. So um, yeah, he was kind of, you know, pulled from pillar to post. So to to get some continuity will be good to, to see him, obviously, because um, yeah, by all accounts, as Lee says, he's he's a player with with good technical quality, and I think it will be uh, be good to see him playing regular football at, in a in a top division. Uh, moving on to to my final pick, my third and final player uh, for transfers under the radar, transfers you might have missed rather. Um, this one won't be under the radar for, for Celtic fans, um, considering that he's already scored his first goal uh, in a UEFA Champions League qualifier. Uh, but he might and probably will be a, a new name for many other listeners um, because he he's been one of Ange Postecoglou's first signings for the club. Um, you know, not a well-known player playing in a well-known league prior to this because he's he's 19 years old. Um, and it's uh, Lille Abada who has joined Celtic uh, on a five-year deal for three and a half million pounds from Maccabi Petah Tikva in the Is- in Israel's top flight. Um, I, I felt I feel like I had to overly justify this last pick, considering that my other two joined top half Bundesliga and Premier League clubs, uh, and that Sumare was a twenty million euro addition. But um, I think it, this is one which might have flown under certain people's radars, though. But um, he's played around three or four games now, uh, three competitive games, one friendly for Celtic. And the, the the takeaway, the main takeaway that I've got from from that is that I actually don't think I've seen him take a bad first touch yet. And 
that's a very obviously positive thing for, for a new player coming in. You don't want them to be, you know, not at the required pace, especially when you're coming from a league which isn't as prestigious as as the Scottish Premiership. You know, coming from Israel's top flight, it's not the same level of competition. Um, so it's, you know, you, you're going to want to want players to hit the ground running. Um, but yeah, he seems very reactive. Um, does Abada really really alert to chances which which end up falling his way uh, and that's that's pretty much how he scored his his first goal for the, for Celtic um and look then looking back at his goals for for Maccabi Petatikva that seems to be a common theme um and at around for oh, must only be 5 foot 7 or 5 foot 8 at most um there's a bit of the the Javier Chicharito Hernandez about him i think uh, maybe not in the same poacher way because he can well he's 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 a right winger or rather a right inside forward mainly um but um he's yeah he's very reactive very flighty um but can also hit them from range so don't go saying that uh, he's he's the the he's Chicharito incarnate cuz he's not quite he does like driving at players but um the yeah the i think the the first thing that i noticed about abada and i'm sure we'll see more of is that his first touch is is usually really 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 crisp very clean um and yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting signing. Lee, from your perspective, um, what, what do you expect from Abada? Did you know anything about him before he signed for Celtic, or was is this a player who was completely new to you as well? No, I knew a little bit about him already. I think that his his output in terms of his data profile when he was still playing in Israel was so good that he popped up in a couple of searches, and and it led to me having a little bit of a look at the player. I was still a little bit surprised when I saw that that Celtic was the club that were linked with him. Um, for any listeners that don't know, Celtic are in a little bit of a mess at the moment. They they did very well in that first leg that you talk about where Abada scored, but then when near Beaton, his his compatriot, Israeli compatriot, got sent off, it was unfortunately Abada who had to be withdrawn for a, a tactical switch to bring on an, another central defender. And when he went off, Celtic really lost their dynamism because Abada, like you said, he he was very positive. Everything that he did was direct towards goal. And I think Celtic fans were really excited when they saw that. He struggled a little bit more in the second leg. Um, obviously, Celtic ended up losing after extra time to Midgetland and, and going out of the Champions League at that point. I think Abada was a little bit quieter in the second leg than, than fans maybe wanted him to be. But that'll all come as, as part of an adjustment. I think that Celtic are in a little bit of a trouble at the moment. They're in a downturn period. Rangers look like they could very well be the dominant force in, in Scottish football for the next five years, the way things are, are going at the moment. They, they continue to recruit intelligently, whereas previously we'd have been talking about Celtic and, and lauding their recruitment department because of the transfers that they were renowned for. I think that's fallen away a little bit. You see that they've now gone out and signed James MacArthur and Joe Hart, for example. And if you're talking about signing value players who you're going to get sell-on for and that are going to bring immediate value and, and youthful dynamism, I don't think MacArthur and Hart are that. Abada is a really interesting player. He's somebody who I think will add a different dimension to the Celtic attack. But I think it's really, really important if they're going to keep Odson Edward, which is looking increasingly likely as the transfer window goes on. If Edward is going to stay at Parkhead, then I think he's going to have to come up with a bit of a partnership with Abada quickly and get an understanding so that the two of them can really help each other thrive. I do see that as something which could potentially happen, though, because from what I've seen already, there, there does seem to... I mean, this comes purely from me observing his first touch, but, you know, he, he knows... He always seems to know where that that neck pass is going. He always... He, he quite likes those little give-and-goes, um, which I've been really, really impressed by. And 
I, I mean, if if you looked at him and the way that he was playing, you wouldn't say that this is a 19 year old who's, you know, the 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 highest level he's ever played is sort of a few throwaway caps for for Israel. Um, so, yeah, first impressions are very very positive. Um, going going forward, you know, he's he's got good speed, he's got good pace. Um, you know, he does seem as though he's gonna. He's a player who plays very well on the shoulder, uh, which is interesting considering that. Obviously, I know what you said about Rangers there, but Celtic are mainly going to be up against teams who are going to sit deep, um, considering that you know that they still are one of the more dominant teams in in Scotland. Definitely. Um, I, I mean, I have a feeling that he's obviously going to be more effective as an inside forward than as a pure winger, um, and that's going to lend itself to that potential partnership with Eduardo or whoever's going to play there. I do think. I mean, it's early days. He's played roughly around 180, 200 minutes in a Celtic shirt, but I, from from you know, first glimpses, I do see him being an upgrade on James Forrest, um, yes. purely and simply because he 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 appears very multifaceted. You know, he he doesn't look as though he's going to end up running down blind alleys, which I think was obviously a very frustrating thing for Celtic fans with James Forrest at times. Um, and he does. He he's very comfortable receiving in the half space. You know, where he can either you know get shots off himself or or make those sort of wall pass type interchanges to break down the low blocks um so i think yeah it's it, it's a positive move it's 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 interesting because how can a recruitment department or rather it might it's not always the just the recruitment department who have their fingers in the the transfer pie so to speak but it's interesting that obviously james MacArthur, who's played fewer minutes over the past five years than callum mcgregor played last year i think i saw last night which is absolutely <laughs> obscene um mccarthy sorry uh and Joe Hart coming in and also Leo Labada, which seems like a smart move. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm seeing a bit of a disconnect here. Yeah, I, I think it, it's always a problem when there's not that. I mean, recruitment is such a difficult thing to get right and to get right consistently. I think if clubs get it right for two or three seasons at a time, people really start to take notice. You think about Southampton from maybe 10 years ago when the, all the talk was of the black box that Southampton had in their recruitment room. Uh, you think about Celtic when they went out and signed Van Vincent Van, Victor Wanyama, Virgil Van Dyke, these cal- caliber players, Christopher Ayer, who's obviously moved to Brentford now. All of these players were very good examples of smart recruitment when Celtic identified undervalued markets and went out and signed players that they knew they had resale value on. Odson Edward is another example of that. So too was Oliver and Cham, and Cham's actually left now in a free transfer after. Celtic turned down 15 million last year from Porto for him, so a little bit of a strange one there. But for a long time, Celtic were thought to be ahead of the game in terms of recruitment, but something along the way broke. And that's something that happens. Clubs go in cycles with these things. There are very, very few clubs, perhaps a handful that I can name off the top of my head. You look at Borussia Dortmund, uh, you look at the likes of Atalanta that we've already talked about. You look at Liverpool. There are very few teams that are as consistent as those clubs are with their recruitment because clubs tend to change their focus or get a little bit carried away and try to chase the next level in terms of their recruitment and things can fall apart then. I think that Celtic maybe got a little bit too... They, they were a little bit too used to getting things their own way within Scottish football because Rangers were obviously on a huge downturn after their relegation down to League 2 and having to come back up to the Premier League. 
they were too used to being able to sign players and still get domestic wins and just think about the Champions League. And I think that affected the way they were recruiting. I think that Lila Bada is an example of recruitment where it could be very, very good. He could be a player that they're selling for 10 to 12 million at 18 months, 24 months, when he has had the, the statistical output in Scottish football that you might expect him to. I would say that he's going to have to adapt his style a little bit because it looks like Celtic are going to keep going with this idea of inverted fullbacks. At the moment, it's, it's Ralston, a Celtic product, a youth product, who's playing as the right-sided fullback, and he's not getting round the outside to offer the width. So Abada will have to offer the width a little bit before he then comes inside. And I think that he will... He has got the technical ability that you talked about with that first touch, with that vision. He has got the ability to link in with Edward because Edward is an extremely intelligent striker. I think if that comes off, you're going to see him explode and have a really good output. But the rest of the recruitment at Celtic is just a little bit more worrying, I think would be the word. Yeah, I think I'd share that um, because... Yeah, it does. It just, as I said, there was. It seemed to be a little bit of a disconnect. But yeah, um, the the potential partnership, I think, is is positive, and and that is somewhere where I'd be taking stock because he he Abada does seem as though he's he's an intelligent player. He's not all sort of speed and brawn, speed or brawn. He he does seem to have that 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 Jesper Lindstrom playmaking intelligence as well. I think a little bit to an extent. So, um, I think yeah, there's there's some positives to take in that, but from a purely you know, scouting and talent ID perspective, um, he's definitely one which I'll uh, I'll be keeping an eye on because, um, yeah, that it's it seems as though he seems like a smart transfer for a club who may have done business which isn't necessarily smart in other areas this this window. But um, yeah, that is uh, there are there are six players or rather seven, uh, given that Lee's scandalous breaking of the rules uh, to include Thiago Dantas and Eduardo <laughs> Coresma from Tondela. Um, they are our six or se- six slash seven players uh, that we've that we planned to discuss on this podcast. Uh, transfers you might have missed. Um, if you like this format, uh, if you like it in more bite-sized form, uh, then head on over to uh, YouTube, as I mentioned at the beginning of the pod, uh, as there'll be more on there. There'll be more in the weeks to come as well, while the transfer window is still open. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. Lee, it's been a pleasure once again. Thanks for joining me. Please leave a like and a comment and subscribe to learn more about the best young football players in the world.